0: hey everybody keith billis here live in the business athlete performance lab you hear those smooth tunes that's captain smooth yesterday we had lawnmower man brian clayton and today we have some captain smooth bringing us in bringing some vibe yeah it sets a nice tone for the conversation today although i think when captain and i talk the energy is probably going to go up a little bit higher than this and uh I'm looking forward to the conversation today Captain steve hoffman he's the ceo of founder space venture investor author of multiple books on entrepreneurship and innovation. He wrote a book called Make Elephants Fly. Yeah, Make Elephants Fly. So I saw some elephants last year in Kenya, I took my family to Kenya. When I saw Make Elephants Fly, I thought to myself, as I saw, I saw the elephants wandering through the Maasai, would they fly? And I share that with everybody tuning in right now because coming up next year, we're working on a little something special. Now y'all know we're working on Truthbox. We're looking to do some really cool things on the business side of things, but we also know being a business athlete is just my life. Just taking care of myself and building businesses and weaving the old athletic things, weaving adventure. And I thought to myself, there's got to be eight people, 10 people in the world, maybe in North America that want to change their life. You're thinking, Keith, why change their life? I'm like, yeah, change their life. We're going to do it together. So here's what we're thinking. A little teaser. We might not see elephants fly, but we're going to see elephants. We're going to climb a mountain in the first quarter. We're going to climb a mountain in the second quarter. We're going to climb Kilimanjaro in the third quarter. And then we're going to end the year in East Kenya with the elephants, the safari, and then end the year at a retreat on Lamu Island and Shayla Beach with some friends that I made last year there. So as you're listening to this, if you're thinking to yourself, geez, man, I'm kind of stuck in my career. I'm stuck professionally. I'm stuck personally. And I would love to step forward, but I don't know how. Well, come talk to me. We'll help you. We're going to help you get, we're going to coach you. We're going to motivate you. We're going to take you all the way through the year, through those three big events, and then end up the year in Kenya. And where we might see elephants fly. So we'll bring that up a little later on in the next couple of weeks. But today we are going to bring in Captain Hoff. Steve, what's going on? Fantastic to be here. And yes, we will make
1: your elephants fly. I will show you how. That's awesome. How's it going today? I'm excited to have you on the show. I've been. It, it is it's going great. So I am a business athlete just like you. In fact, I work out two hours every day. I work out in the morning and in the evening. And in the middle, I work like crazy on my businesses
0: all around the world. I'm constantly traveling. So when you heard of the business athlete and we came across your radar, did you recognize you already were one or did you, has this lifestyle been a part of you or has it been something that you've always been about, Steve?
1: I have always been focused on fitness, you know, physical fitness, mental fitness, and equally important, business fitness, how to keep your business fit so it keeps going. And, And if you're not fit, if you're not like mentally tuned right, if you're not physically tuned right, it's really hard to keep your business going right because you won't be as energetic, as productive, and you won't have the clarity of thought to make those critical decisions that you have to make in a business and really see
0: what's important and what's not important. I love that. Why do you think it's so difficult for many people, Steve, to capture that and then execute it on a daily basis? Because it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm going to go for a walk today or go for my meditation or my wellness, do something. But the key, as you probably know and I know, is every single day you have to do it to have success. Why is it difficult?
1: Religiously, every day. Because if you make an excuse one day, you will make the same excuse the next day. Yes. And then it becomes the next day. And then you start feeling guilty. And then you don't want to think about it. And then you just stop doing it. And I know so many entrepreneurs. I work all over the world. Like we work in over 22 countries. So I'm meeting entrepreneurs the same. The problem is even worse overseas. So you think it's bad here in the United States, we're pretty good about taking the time out. You go to Asia countries like South Korea, Japan, China, you name it, uh, they work all the time and they really do not uh, pay enough attention to their mental fitness or their physical fitness. And that makes them work. But this is what I tell entrepreneurs. It's not how hard you work. It's not how many hours you put into your business that counts. It's how smart you work. What decisions do you make on your business, and what is the quality of those decisions, that has a far bigger impact for business leaders, for CEOs,
0: entrepreneurs, than anything else, than the number of hours you put in. I like to call it focusing on the results. I'm a person who's all about, give me the results. How you get there, I hired you because you're smarter than me already. So I know you're gonna get there in a very, very effective manner, but I really just wanna focus on the results. Cap, why is it so difficult for everybody to focus on everything else but the results? Sometimes you feel, you know, we live in
1: a dopamine society. We're mm-hmm. constantly getting boosted yes. by dopamine, you know, on our social networks and in our entertainment, and even in our interactions with people now. It all has to be can I get that dopamine hit? Right. Because you're kind of on this treadmill, you feel like you're accomplishing something when you're doing tasks for your business, when you're getting things done, when little results are coming in, these results that seem to matter. But strategically, A lot of times these results don't matter. It's like I tell entrepreneurs, if you are going the wrong direction with your business, it doesn't matter how fast you run in that direction. It doesn't matter how long you run in that direction. It doesn't matter how hard you work in that direction. You're still going the wrong way and you're never going to get to your ultimate goal. And that is the thing people need to change.
0: And it's funny because it rarely, doesn't it? Because then we hear the stories as we age through life and that we hear the old cliches with somebody's on their final deathbed and they say that sales presentation really wasn't worth the fact that I don't have my family anymore or I'm sick or I miss those moments of not taking care of myself or spending my family. And I always say that, you know, what's actually more important is you're going for a walk right now. Because if you can go for a walk right now, you can go for a walk in 30 years from now so you can keep your business running that much longer. And yet it's so hard to go for a walk, you know? It's so hard yes. to get up and go for it. It's hard walk.
1: for people to take a few days off, you know, when they're an entrepreneur and just spend time with their family uninterrupted by anything else. Yes. These things seem impossible, but they are entirely possible. It's all up to you. It's all up to your priorities. And I will tell you, it will actually make your business better doing these things. You know, there are times... When you're a business athlete and you need to focus, you need to like get down to the line, yeah. and you need to put in like twenty hour days if necessary yes. to get whatever done. But then, you also need to schedule in times of equal amount where you actually divert your attention away from your business, because only by doing that can you get perspective on your business. You cannot get perspective on your business when you are just handling one crisis or one urgent thing after another. It ju- you have to lift your head up and actually look forward into the future, far future, and make sure that all those things you're doing that seem so urgent and require so much attention
0: are really getting you where you need to go. I love the metaphors of business and athletics, and you weave them together because, you know, in my experience, successful athletes do the same things as successful entrepreneurs or C-level executives do, yet we seem to often miss the gap. So when we, you know, brought this show to life and brought these conversations to life, it's been really exciting Talking to people like yourself and Brian Clayton and so forth that are taking care of themselves first, taking care of their businesses along the way, and then building these spectacular businesses with them. Now, walk us, you have a wonderful backdrop behind you there. Walk us through founder space. Walk us through founder space and its mission. So I did three venture-funded startups in
1: Silicon Valley. So I know startups. I also did two bootstrap startups that, you know, I funded myself. And I learned. Through the process, you know, everything it takes the the ups and the downs, the roller coaster ride, you know, the mistakes you make as an entrepreneur, all these things I figured out the hard way actually doing it. After that, about 10 years ago, I launched Founderspace. And Founderspace is a startup accelerator. So we work with entrepreneurs and take their business to the next level. We also invest in entrepreneurs. That is our mission. So we invest money, we invest time. And we invest our hearts into the entrepreneurs we work with. And then we expand. So we expanded globally. We started in Silicon Valley, in San Francisco. And now we work all over the world. We have 50 partners all over in 22 countries. We have incubators abroad. We also just work with different governments all over the world. And our mission, our real mission is to help entrepreneurs, to help them get to the next level, help them like you do, like really have perspective, have priorities in their life take care of themselves and their families first. And on top of that, build a great business, build a lasting business, not one where you just cash out quickly, you know, these businesses where you're just trying to get people's money and cash out, but where you're really building a business that matters to the people who work for the business matters to the world and contributes contribute something.
0: That's a wonderful mission to get. That's a wonderful purpose. I'm a purpose-driven person. And, and with a purpose like that, it's hard not to get it of bed, is it Steve? So for me, it's fun. Like yes, this is I my can, dream job. Yes. You know, I
1: did entrepreneurship. It was amazing. Now I'm kind of helping all these other entrepreneurs and living uh, with them through their journey. And, you know, I put a lot of this, I'm also an author. So I wrote uh, several books and One of them is surviving a startup, which is like literally everything I've learned about from my own experiences and from all these entrepreneurs I work with every year. You know, how do you survive a startup? How do you get over that hump, that huge challenge? And then the other book, which you alluded to, was Make Elephants Fly. And that is about the elephant is your big dream your vision, like what it seems impossible, like nobody can make an elephant fly. But as an entrepreneur, you have to make your elephant fly. Everybody's going to tell you it's impossible to have that happen. But you have to believe it can happen. And you have to have a path. And how do you get there? How do you take that dream and make it fly?
0: How do you deal with entrepreneurs who can't make elephants fly? And often, as we know, as entrepreneurs, many elephants are going to fall before the first one flies. So, how do you deal with catching those entrepreneurs that are falling in your arms all the time?
1: So there's two ways, right? Yeah, there are two type, two basic types of entrepreneurs. One some who are born to be entrepreneurs, others who were not meant to be entrepreneurs oh. don't know it. Yes, and so you know, fair. we can use a sports analogy, right? You know, you could be so passionate about basketball. Why they're like so into basketball? You love it, but you are very short. You are not physically built for basketball. And no matter how hard you try, you're not going to be a great basketball player. So a lot of what I do when I work with entrepreneurs in our accelerator is I try to see them as a whole person, right? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Fortunately, in business, you don't have to be good at everything. In fact, you know, as a CEO and a founder, you only have to be good at certain things. Because your main job is to bring aboard people who are great in all the things that you're weak in and even bring aboard people who are great at what you're great at because you simply don't have time. You're going to be the leader of that business. But there are some people who are really not born leaders. They are not designed to be an entrepreneur because of a variety of reasons. Like some people are just much more focused on the details. They would be better off as a writer or a a scientist in a lab or a librarian or something like that. They're not cut out to be. Some people can't handle the stress. They literally fall apart when they're under too much stress. Some people are in the middle. Most people, right? Most people have traits that they could become a great entrepreneur with coaching, maybe a great entrepreneur. And then there are those who are just born to be entrepreneurs. So we tend to, people who aren't cut out it physically, mentally, whatever way, they just aren't cut out to, for entrepreneurship. Those people, I like to tell them, look, join a startup. Don't be the entrepreneur. You're an engineer. Focus on what yes. you're good at. You're passionate about doing this, but you are not a business person. You don't see this. It's not in your blood. You're not going to be going out there selling your vision. This isn't. You need somebody else to be the CEO for this company. And, you, and then you can ride that, you know, that rocket ship, but only if you get the right people on board in the right positions. So I try to guide people in the direction that they need to go, even if it's something they don't want to hear. And that's the hard part, because some people are very good at listening to external advice and act, and when it makes sense, acting upon it and other people just will block it out. And I learned you cannot change somebody who will not take advice. If they are not coachable, you can give them the advice but at a certain point, you just have to let them go. And a lot of times that means letting them fail because that's what they're determined to do. They are not going to do it. And then other people, and I found this is true when you're a a manager, a business leader, or like me, the head of Startup Accelerating. You need to put 90% of your time into the 10% of the best people you work with. Because there are people out there in the world who are amplifiers and there are people out there who suck all your energy and give nothing back. And the amplifiers, these amazing top 10% of the, the people you know, and especially the top few percent, the more energy and time you invest in them, boom, they exponentially give back more. They give back you know, 10 times more, 100 times more, and their businesses explode. And then the other ones, who are struggling, sometimes you feel like, you know, you run an accelerator. I'm a compassionate guy. I want to help the people struggling. But at a certain point, you, no matter how much time and energy you put into them, if they are like not equipped to do it, you're just, it just goes away. It goes to nothing. So you have to make hard choices. And like I make the hard choices, a part of what I do is say, where, if I'm going to invest my time, my money, everything else, where can I invest those that will get the greatest return for the people I'm investing in? And then I focus on that.
0: One quality, one trait you look for in an entrepreneur that you invest in, one. One. So number one that they need to have is leadership
1: ability. The ability to, and by leadership, I mean not just motivating people. A lot of times we think the inspirational speech. Yeah, but that's not true leadership. True leadership is picking the ability to pick and get on board the right people and put, send them in the right direction. That is true leadership. You know, not it, In fact, motivating isn't your job as a leader. Because if you pick the right people, yes. they will self-motivate. And you set up the structure for them to succeed, they will motivate them. And if they aren't them motivating go. themselves, they aren't the right people in the first place, and you failed as a leader. Yes. So your job as a leader is not to make inspirational speeches and buy them pizza and make them happy. Your job is to get people who want to succeed at what they're doing and put them in a position where they can do that. If you can do that as a leader, the, you know, that's the number one quality that everything takes care of itself. Like everything else works. Is Elon Musk a good leader? Cap? You know, surprisingly he is a good leader. He is a, I I agree with you.
0: Brilliant. I agree. I would say he is a brilliant self promoter. And I think that you have to be that in today's world. Don't you? Like you have to be like, I look at your branding. I look at, so when prior to the show and Roland was like, Hey, we're going to get cap Poffin. And I kind of dug into who you were and got, you know, researched myself. And I said to myself, man, you've done a wonderful job building your brand. And I congratulate you for that. I really do. Because self-promoting and building your brand, I kind of hate that with people, but it is what it is. You've done a spectacular job of it. Look at around you, look at your branding around you. And your energy is your brand, isn't it? Our energy. You yes, too. Yes, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yes. It's us and yes. our personalities. Yes. They come out. Yes. Us.
1: And so Elon is great at that, we have to admit. Like yes. he's world class. He is also. A very good leader. So there's one self-promotion. That's one talent. You don't have to be a good business leader to be a good self-promoter. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. great self-promoters who are terrible business people. Yes. Yes, he happens to have both in spades, and that's why he's become so successful. But he's a good leader because he does exactly what I said. Like he's not Mr. Nice Guy. He doesn't even really motivate his people, right? He's kind of like an egomaniac. I mean, you wouldn't really consider him your friend if he's your boss. Yes. But he knows how to pick the right people and put them in a position and structure things so that they can achieve those goals. That's what he knows how to do. And he's very good at identifying what needs to be done and sending people in that direction. So, yes, he's a very good leader. Why is it so difficult to find the next Elon Musk? So, well, you know, certain people are exceptional at what they do. And the reason they are called exceptional is because they are rare. If was playing at that level, they would just be average. And so the answer is almost, these are exceptional people who have this ex- exceptional combination of traits that at our point in time in history work really well, right? Everything comes together. You know, there's luck in it too. We have to admit mm-hmm. there's luck in all these things, but, you know, consistently certain people do much better than average, right? Much better than luck. Are there other Elon Musk's out there? Absolutely. There are lots of people with that potential. Do they get the chance in their life to always succeed at the level he does? Absolutely not. We know the world isn't fair. Everybody with talent doesn't always get the break they need to to succeed, whether you're trying to be an actor or a business person or whatever you're trying to do, especially in these hit-driven businesses like business and entertainment and things like that. You know, if you're just an accountant, okay, you can be, you know, the best accountant in the world, but nobody will ever know, right? But maybe your clients, because you don't get a lot of attention. The the point is, there are lots of them out there, but all these things have to coalesce in the right way for them to achieve their full potential. Now, as an individual, if you have these traits, there are things you can do in your life to up the odds of things coming together for you in the right way. Doesn't mean it's a guarantee, right? People get sick, people have health issues, people have family issues, all these different things, you know, can block you from achieving that next thing. But your job, if you do believe in yourself and you believe you have a lot of potential, maybe not Elon Musk level, but, you know, you have potential to do great things in this world, your job is not to put yourself under pressure, not to make yourself feel bad for not having achieved them yet, right? Right. Your job is to say, look, it's a challenge. Everybody's life is a puzzle. Every puzzle is different. My puzzle is different than Elon's puzzle, than Bill Gates' puzzle, than Steve Hoffman's, Captain Hoff's puzzle. They're all different puzzles. I'm given my own unique puzzle and I'm gonna try to put it together. And everything, if you look at these obstacles, which you're gonna face, these incredible challenges, which everybody faces in their life, you are going to see that they may come together at this point in time in your life. They may not. A lot of it's out of your control. But what you can do is put yourself in a position to maximize the chance of them happening.
0: Cap, what does the role of vulnerability play in today's leader? So
1: it's funny. There are leaders who are highly empathetic. There are leaders who express their weaknesses and their vulnerabilities very clearly. And there are leaders who don't. And they still lead, right? You know, there are people out there who are more like dictators. They really don't express vulnerability. They are tough, hard, demanding people who never give an inch and they succeed. So all these trends, right, that go around, these kind of memes and people talking, oh, your good leader has to be vulnerable. Let me tell you, from an employee's perspective, it's always nice to have a boss that admits when they're wrong. It's always nice to have a boss that is empathetic to their employees and encouraging. Do you have to be that type of boss in order to get results? Uh, You can get results being that way and you can get good results and you can make your team feel much better about themselves psychologically, emotionally, health-wise because people under stress often that directly affects your health, you know, and if you're demanding so much of them, it's never black and white. There are so many different types of leaders and personalities. Vulnerability is one trait if used in the right way, in the right circumstances, can yield good results. Is it necessary? No. Does it always work? You know,
0: that's the balance to everything. That's my answer. It's, It's a good answer. I certainly would agree with you there. So then, is the better question the quality of being authentic? I would say people work their way up the ranks. They maybe change along the way as a human being or as a leader. And they maybe try to be a different kind of leader, or or what they think should be a leader, or who they think could be a leader. Do you follow what I'm asking you? Is authentic? I think that's the right
1: question. I think you really nailed it there because it's not whether you're vulnerable that people respond Mm -hmm. to, right? It's whether you they believe in you, right? And are you true? Are you speaking honestly to them? Are you authentic to yourself? Or are you, is there a mask in front of you? Are you hiding something? And this comes down to trust, right? People uh, want a leader that they believe in. that they, and belief requires trust. I trust this leader is going to take us in the right direction. I might not even like them as a person. I might not necessarily like every decision they make. And great leaders often make decisions that even the majority of their followers, their employees do not like. But that's part of being a leader is taking them in that direction, whether they like it or not, you are leading, you are not following, but being authentic, it's really important. So you look at at really good leaders, especially ones who use charisma well, right, to their advantage, and they are authentic, right? You look at Elon Musk, he is authentically Elon Musk, like like him or hate him. And, you know, there's traits about him that I don't like, and there are certain things about him that I admire, but he is authentic you look at other great leaders out there, they come across as who they are. And if they have a mask, if they're not being genuine with you, people tend not to follow them. They tend not to believe in them. And that doesn't necessarily, if they're super smart, I know they did a study out there and they were found that the greatest thing that determines somebody's ability to create wealth for themselves and for others, the greatest number one attribute is none of what we've talked about so far. It's simply intelligence it comes down to intelligence like are they really smart right can they figure stuff out ahead of other people right and act upon it right so if they're really smart they can get away with not necessarily being authentic or compassionate or any of these other traits because they just invent something or figure something out or invest in the right way and they can make a lot of money so all of these things, it's always a combination, right, of different attributes. Like I say, intelligence, authenticity, charisma, ability to see the future, all you know, ability to, to get employees you know, to follow you and, and go wherever you go, all of these different things. But authentic, authenticity is a great attribute uh, that people should work on because it does build that human connection, which is so important in leadership.
0: This is fantastic, Steve, because I will be vulnerable with you right now and tell you that, you know, you've inspired me over the last few weeks. As I got back into the game, recognizing that, okay, this gentleman is putting himself out there. He's more than authentic. And I know I'm an authentic soul too, but as I brought myself back out into the game and back out in front of the camera and back out in front of the mic, I'm largely an introverted soul. But it was that, nah, what works for me and who I am is who I am. I can't get away from that. And as I kept watching you, I'm like, Yeah. As I've looked in my ear in the mirror at my gray hairs and my lines on my forehead, I recognize that yeah, my wisdom's worth something. So you know what? To hell with it. I'm gonna go and be myself. And I'm gonna go and put myself out there and be the business athlete that I am. And those that want to follow, those that don't want to follow, that's fine too. But I gotta say it was your authenticity. And then I hope that people that are watching you and I going, wow, those guys are authentic. Maybe that'll encourage me to be authentic as well. Because that really is, I believe, the trait that people get behind. Right, whether you're going to succeed or fail, if I believe in Steve Hoffman, right, and he's going to show himself to me and he's going to lay himself bare to me, I can get behind that. I really can. Yes,
1: I think all of us. We want to see the real human behind the person. And sometimes that is, like you said, revealing vulnerability. Other times it's other traits that you're it's just like showing people who you are. There are people who can be assholes out there, right? Really assholes, but they're authentic assholes. People responded. I mean, look at Steve Jobs, right? You know, even Elon Musk. They are not nice people to work for. They're probably not people that would enjoy hanging around most people if they weren't famous. you know, You wouldn't enjoy hanging around them, but they are not ashamed. To be who they are. And I think all of us, we all look like I'm a very different type of person than they are. You're a very different type of person. You know, each one of us, we just have to find who we are. And then we just, you know, have to let it out. Like you said, you were introverted. I am an introvert. Like people don't realize it, I come across as an extrovert, but I was naturally like always a shy kid, an introvert. And It took me a while to figure out how to just be myself, like on a podcast like this, like in front of other people. Like at first I was like the worst person you would ever interview. Like you and I would be so awkward and self-conscious and, you know, not able to express myself. And this is the beauty of life. You can change yourself. You can fundamentally change yourself. So never let anybody tell you, you can't change, Right like even me, I'll cast judgment on a people and say that person isn't worth investing my time, right? Like I told you, like certain entrepreneurs, I say, I can't help them. But what I'm saying to them really is I can't help you right now, right? Because you have to change yourself before I can help you. You will have to change who you are and then you'll be a different person and come back to me. And yes, I can invest a lot of time in you. Like I can see the potential at that point. So ultimately it's up to us. We have, our brains are very malleable our personalities are malleable. Things we think are set in stone. And I think you probably experienced this yourself. Like I thought shyness was something you couldn't change, right? You could not change. Like if I got nervous around people, like a non-shy person never understands this. They have no clue of what it is to be a shy person because they have never felt that. But when you are that person, it feels impossible to change. And then all of a sudden you discover you could change those things. You could actually totally transform how your like traits that you thought were you, like that were inextricable from your identity, from your personality. Those can actually be changed. And so I look at people and I'm telling them, you can change how you react to things emotionally. You might be overreacting and you might be, you know, too, you know, emotional to really handle. Th- you can deal, you can change how you react to stress and deal with anxiety, all these things like you're a physical athlete, but you are also a mental athlete. Like <laughs> you're going to be a business athlete. It requires the same level of mental athletics and athletics is training, right? We all know this. Like if you're going to become a great basketball star, you could have all the gifts, natural gifts in the world. But if you don't practice like crazy, you're never going to become a great basketball player. It's, they're never going to be a Magic Johnson, a Michael Jordan, whoever it is. You will never hit that level without a lot of hard work. So it's a combination of three things, natural talent, your ability to change
0: and work hard and Your unrelenting determination that you just won't give up. You're here with Keith Billis and Captain Steve Hoffman halfway through our hour here, having a great chat, Steve. This is fantastic so far. I'm really enjoying our conversation. You let's move the conversation to the television industry. You come from TV. What is what let's talk about your experience in the television industry and I want to peek your opinion into what just kind of wrapped up over the last couple of days, even though we're creating evergreen content, but the last couple of days with the writer strike ending and the TV industry changing and linear TV dying and all of the things happening in this industry. I would love to hear your perspective on that.
1: Well, years and years ago, when I was a young lad, a young boy, I actually dreamed of being the next Spielberg, like the next great filmmaker. And I, you know, from the time I was a kid, I made over 50 movies until I graduated high school, like 50. Some of them were short films. Some of them were quite long films, like an hour long. So they were pretty long. I directed, edited, acted in them, was totally obsessed. I also created games. I was a creator. Like, so I was always making stuff. I was an introvert. Like I was a creator. I was always making something. And my passions were like games and movies. And I dreamed, like, what would I do? And I said, I, well, first I wanted to go to film school. I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to go to Hollywood. But my father, who is an an engineer and really understood, he was actually, my father was a rocket scientist. So he studied, you know, he literally studied rockets and everything. He came to me and he said, son, computers are going to change the world. They will change the world. You must study computers. So I was like, okay, My, my father, who's pretty brilliant tells me I have to study computers. So I went into electrical computer engineering and I found out it wasn't my passion. Like it just, you know, I just wasn't into it. Like I liked computer programming and I particularly got into programming games. Like that was really cool. But electrical engineering wasn't. So when I graduated, I said, dad, I'm going to film school now. Like if I tried this computer stuff, I'm going to film school. Went to film school graduated, got my master's from USC, graduated, started in Hollywood at the bottom ranks of the ladder, worked myself up to a TV development executive pretty fast, like within a year, like I I got promoted, became a TV development executive. And I was in this great position in Hollywood. It was really exciting. Like my dreams are coming true, but I felt like I'm not creating anything. I'm actually not making any movies. I'm just picking what TV shows and movies get produced. I'm not actually doing it. And at that point, I met the founder of Sega. You know, the game company with Sonic the Hedgehog and all this stuff. I met the founder. At that point, Sega had just surpassed Nintendo to become the number one video game company in the world. And I told you, I had two passions as a kid, you know, game making and uh, movie making. I wasn't making movies, even though I was in a good position. But I saw this opportunity and I asked him, I said, hey, are you looking for somebody from Hollywood to come over and design games in your Japan studio, their headquarters? And he said, absolutely. We want somebody from Hollywood to come over. And they hired me. I moved to Japan. I worked for Sega. I worked for them for only one year, only one year, because I was making games. It was really cool in the Japanese headquarters. But then I heard that this something was changing back home and it was changing in Silicon Valley. And at this point, basically the internet was exploding, just starting. This is the first wave of the internet. And I was like, oh my God, I have to get back to Silicon Valley. Like this thing is very nascent. I have to jump back in and I have to start my own game company. So I quit Sega. I went back to Silicon Valley and that was my entry into entrepreneurship. That first company was a game company. I bootstrapped. We did a game called Gazillionaire, which is teaches, ironically, what I do now, teaches people to become entrepreneurs. It's Gazillionaire. And that game did incredibly well. And I just went from
0: there. Steve, do you have, I do, I have two boys? If you were your dad today and AI has just emerged, generative AI has come out of the woodwork in the last 12 months and you're sitting down with your young boys. Fun. Son, Son, AI into the future. <laughs> yes. So what is the advice you're giving your children? And what is the advice you're giving other parents that are having kids or talking kids about the future since generative AI is making its way into the world around us?
1: So let me tell you something ironic that it is very you will find very funny. My kids graduated college and they're on their very first job right now. But when they were growing up, I told them, you should study whatever you're passionate about. I, you know, different than my dad, like I was like, just do what you care about. And then I, you know, I'm into art, I'm into movies, I'm into literature and all these things. And I was like, you know, I kind of wanted them to go to film school like me, like that dream, you know, my father wanted me to be an engineer. I wanted them to go to film school. I was like, you shouldn't make movies. You should do. And I was like introducing them to all, you know, trying to get them excited. Guess what happened to my boys? Tell me. Both boys became engineers. (laughs) They chose not to follow my advice, which is what kids do. And they not only became engineers, guess what they became. Tell me. They both got their master's degree in artificial intelligence. You're kidding me. I was telling them, you know, go be an artist, do all this stuff, you know, that, and, you know, because I'm more in technology now. And and I was like, you know, you
0: could do that. And then they went off and became artificial intelligence engineers. And that's what they are. I would love to be around the dinner conversation with your family and the conversations you guys have. Let's talk about large language models. Listen to kids, listen to what, not what you tell them to do, but what
1: you actually say to each other with with your husband and a wife or say to other people. And, you know, um, my wife and I, were running space, you know, throughout their childhood and doing startups, game startups and all these other startups. And they saw that we kept talking about AI, not telling them that they should study AI, but literally talking about like, this is the future. And this was years ago, like when they are growing up, because we were, like, I've always been obsessed with AI, like completely obsessed. You know, I wrote another book, The Five Forces, which is my other book, which is about artificial intelligence and the transformations it will make. So I've been always completely, you know, into this idea that AI would, you know, end up powering everything. Because of course, you know, you make intelligent machines and that's, that is the future. And that, I think that seed embedded in their head and they're like, yeah, that's interesting. That's despite what my dad is kind of like introducing me to all this art stuff. This is really interesting. And that's the direction they went. So it wasn't a complete accident. It, It was, you know, it's kids are always listening to you. They don't always want to do what you tell them, but they're always looking at what you
0: Actually, do not what you say. Yeah, it's very true. What does two years look like in the world, Steve? What does five years look like in the world? Like, play a little bit of predictor. One of the things I've recognized as I've gotten a little aged uh, is you can look back confidently on history and go, yeah, okay. And then you can look forward a little bit. So when you look two years, we're we're coming up on one year of you know of really you know chat GPT and that movement coming to the forefront. What does two years look like oh, from yes. now, and what does five years look from now, Steve? So I've been thinking about this a lot. So you know, generative AI
1: it is amazing, right? What we can do with generative AI is absolutely incredible. You can create beautiful pictures in seconds. That would take an artist weeks or months to create on their own. Uh, now you can do animation and movies, you know, like just from text or speech in, into visuals. And this is just the beginning. Like we're at the tip of this huge iceberg that's rising up, you know, what, where is this technology ta- taking us in the future? Well, a couple areas. So one area is we're going to see much richer content created by AI, like literally dynamic content created on the fly by AI that will be created, not just a pre-programmed, but by interacting with us in environments. So you could imagine a virtual space, right? Mm. That will like literally be generated as you move through the space based on your actions, avatars that will react to you in unexpected ways based on how you're reacting to them, mm-hmm. you know, based on, you know, how they've been trained with their the data and their programming. This is where we're headed in the future. This intelligence is going into everything. It's not just going to be in entertainment applications, which is very obvious, and marketing applications, which we see generative AI in. It's literally going to be in the devices in our home, right, interacting with them. It's going to be in logistics systems for corporations, you know. It's going to be in our financial trading. It's proliferating everywhere. The other thing we see that is really on the cusp right now is that, you know, every time we think we've reached a limit, it goes further. And the next big barrier that we're going to cross uh, is being crossed right now. The early versions are out right now. And This is autonomous AI agents. Now, what is an autonomous AI agent? An AI agent is some is an intelligent machine that you can send out into the world to accomplish tasks for you. Literally an A that is smart enough that it will go out and do things on your behalf autonomously without you controlling every step of the way and get back to you with results that will be in the future better than you could have done yourself. So you ask how this will impact the world. Well, it will impact everything. Simple example. I want to go on a trip. You know, I, it's a hassle. Like it takes time. Like I, you know, to, either I have to hire a travel agent who knows me very well and my preferences, or I have to do it myself, right? To get what I like, the, the seats I like on the plane, the time I like to fly, the hotels I want to to, schedule my meetings, do everything for me when I'm on this trip. We will have an autonomous AI agent that can literally do that for us. And this autonomous AI agent will learn who we are, what we like, how we would do it through our own actions. And then it will be able to take that and independently implement that for us. It'll do this in travel. It'll do it if you're planning a wedding. It'll do it if you're organizing business meetings. It'll do it if you're planning logistics or supply chains or ordering or ne- even negotiating, like negotiating deals. We have autonomous agents. Oh, talk to my agent. Like instead of it in Hollywood, your agent, talk to my agent. You are your autonomous AI agent. Talk to my yes. autonomous AI agent. If they can reach a deal, we'll do it. It'll be in hiring how people are hired will be hired by these AI, you know, bots and fired. It'll be in every aspect of our lives, whether we like it or not. And I will tell you why, because it'll be so useful. Like it'll be because human beings, our time is our most valuable asset, right? Our time, right? If we can automation, what we've seen is making us more productive, making our time more valuable. We will move to higher and higher levels of decision-making. So right now, we are making lots of decisions in our daily life that really have no major impact on our future. And like I said, a lot of people can work really hard on these small decisions and not affect their business. In the future, we will want to delegate as much of that as possible to these AI agents that will do it. And at the same time, we're going to have autonomous. We're going to have consultants, AI consultants that we will consult on complex decisions. So like right now, we'll ask chat GPT some questions. They can usually answer pretty basic questions well, but we will have much more data and much more sophisticated AIs that will literally be able to answer very complex questions and very specific to our business needs because they will be embedded in our companies and in our lives so that when we make a decision for our business, we'll go to this AI and we will literally be having conversations with it about what the right decision is, as if it were a partner in our business. And in our personal life, agents will be playing our partner in a personal life. Should I quit my job? Is there a better job for me out there? Would I be happier at other jobs? Can you go out and talk to companies on my behalf and see if it's a good fit for me? All of these things in our life will be handled in part by AI. And for a lot of people, we will be delegating a huge portion of our
0: decision-making to these intelligent machines. There's no question that I could not have started the Business Athlete Performance Lab a year ago. When I started it and recognized the power of what I could create with AI, and you probably can recognize where I'm going with this, you see a lot of founders making things, right? In the old world, you had to spend a lot of money to make something and try it out and take a lot of time and then see if it's gonna work or fail. Well, man, what you can create now so rapidly without a lot of human beings, try it, make it, test it, doesn't work get rid of it move forward it's it's a, it's incredible the productivity power that that has brought into my life my business life and you said something striking that i do today already i use gpt whether it's Claude, whether it's chat gpt or whatever platform it's going to be for largely many of my decisions or things i do day to day because i don't know why i wouldn't right so when i'm creating something from a marketing perspective or an operational perspective i've trained a couple i've trained a couple lms on, on our business and i'm like okay let's talk about this. And let's have a dialogue about this. We're thinking about this, and it often will give me things I'm not even considering or thinking about. And once I had those aha moments, I started reconsidering the kind of people you start to surround yourself, even on an executive level, because you're like, "Well, why do I need a only because I read a story today about this? Why would I need a CMO now when the traditional CMO of the past maybe is not as effective as tomorrow's CMO when you have an an intelligent bot in your pocket? Maybe their role is changing.
1: Is you have hit on something that's really important and. You know, I call this human-computer symbiosis or human-AI symbiosis. You know, what we're going to need in the future for your CMO, right? It might not be the traditional CMO, right? Who could do everything themselves. The, The CMO of the future is that individual who can work best with AI. So the traditional CMO might be great, but they might not be as much as effective as a much more junior person with less years experience, but that really understands how to leverage AI to get the results you need. So, you know, what they have found is that human beings are very creative. You know, we are humans. We understand what it means to be human. AI never will understand it like we understand it. It It'll understand it based on data, which is very different than human beings understand who we are. What the best results you often get are people combined with AI, not AI alone, not people alone but it's the people that can work with and leverage AI. These are the people who are gonna be the most productive in the future. And you building like a platform to enable people to do this, that is the future, right? That is where we're gonna see the greatest growth. And that is a great opportunity for investors. It's a great opportunity for anybody who's thinking about their future and, and how they wanna increase their own productivity.
0: Steve, what do you say to somebody who doubts you? Cause you've used the word it many times. And before you answer, you know, somebody listening is going, well, Steve's talking like it in whoever's listening to a podcast. I'm air quoting right now. It meaning AI. It sounds like it is going to do everything. So what am I going to do as a human being? And you got somebody sitting in their truck or the car right now at their desk going, nah, this guy doesn't know. Nah, that's not really going to be how it is. Uh, So it sounds dystopian to me. Yeah, it's
1: really interesting. And I'm not saying that AI alone will be, what I'm actually saying is the opposite. I'm saying AI combined with human ingenuity and creativity, Yes, that will produce better results than AI, just delegating it to AI and walking away, right? It has been shown, actually, when AI, you know, generative AI learns off data, right? Yes. And generative AI, like let's say you're creating graphic images, like mid-journey, you're creating images, right? Image after image. Well, how did AI learn to create all of these images? Well, it didn't learn it on its own. It learned it from hundreds of thousands of artists on uploading their images onto the internet and it just recombining through its algorithm and being trained on how to create images in different styles, right? That's how mid-journey learn from human beings. Now, what they found is whether it's images or text or anything else, if the AI is creating new images and it's just learning off the images it created, the actual performance of the AI will degrade, will actually get worse based so. If an AI is learning off AI, they call it synthetic data, right? Data created by AIs, it actually starts to become dumber and less creative. Than... So what you need is if you take humans out of the loop, what I'm saying is if you take human creativity out of the loop, the AI becomes less, less creative, less productive, less useful. Having humans in the loop is essential. So the future will be always an interaction between AI data and human beings and human created data that produces superior results. And that is why we are an essential part of this. Remember, AI is here ultimately to serve us. If it's not serving our needs and our purposes, then AI is actually a detriment. You know, and some people talk about AI taking over the world and suppressing us and stuff. You know, there is some danger in that. But really what we have to think about in the future is How do we design AI that its purpose is to serve us in the best way possible, to make our lives better, to make the world richer, to make us more productive, to make us happier? You have to come back to that because if you don't come back to that, yes, then AI goes off into a nightmare scenario or a scenario that is very ambivalent of us and begins to separate
0: from humanity. Do we need to have an Oppenheimer moment with AI, Steve? You know, I've thought very deeply
1: about this. I've actually written about it quite a bit and you know, is there a chance that AI will evolve so that it is so intelligent, called superintelligence and so powerful that it will on its own autonomously take control and potentially wipe us out? Like you know, the potential of nuclear weapons. You know, a lot of people have spoken about this. Bill Gates has talked about it, Elon Musk has talked about it, you know, Stephen Hawking has talked about it. This is, you know, not a new idea. What concerns me is before we get to that point, we're not at that point. We're not even close to that point yet. People say we're close, but we're not that close. What concerns me with our real threat in the near future is not AI taking over the world and AI destroying humanity. It's human beings. We are flawed creatures. We look at our world today, the wars we have, the the threats out there, all the tensions. It's human beings using AI to their own advantage and us destroying ourselves, just like we would with nuclear weapons, right? We are still by far like 99% of the greatest threat to humanity. AI is not the greatest threat to humanity. If humanity is going to be wiped out, there's a 99% chance it's us that pulls the trigger by using these extremely powerful tools. I'm not saying AI wouldn't play a role on it, but it's us using it for our own selfish, short-sighted means. I mean, look at climate change. Look at the world. Look at what we're doing to all the species of the planet. This is done by us. It's not done by AI. AI isn't wiping out all the species of the planet. AI isn't pumping massive amounts of pollution into the atmosphere despite data, overwhelming data that shows that this is degrading the planet. We are doing this. We are making those decisions. We are causing wars, you know, whether it's the Ukraine or, you know, threats in other parts of the world. We created nuclear bombs. This is human beings. We are the greatest threat. So let's not divert ourselves worrying about the 1% chance that AI becomes super intelligent and takes over the world. In fact, maybe a super intelligent AI is the only way to save the human race, like maybe delegating authority to a benign and empathetic, I emphasize empathetic AI that has our best interests in mind, will actually be our savior, not our destruction. You know, there, it could go 50-50 either way. But before we ever get to that point where we have an AI that that's capable of that, we need to worry about what how people use AI, how governments use AI, how corporations use AI. It's extremely powerful and there's not enough discussion going on about
0: this. In the lab with Was Keith. Was that passionate the- enough for you? Was I passionate Keith enough? and Steve here live in, in the lab, you know, we've been up on this for an hour and uh, I hope he says yes. I have some extra time right now for a few extra questions and I hope you have a few extra minutes for me because I'm really engaged right now and I don't want to stop. Can I get a few extra minutes with you? You're a great interviewer. I love it. This <laughs> is awesome. Okay, so we're going to keep going down this path. Play with me here, all right? So there's these buildings going up around the world. Let's just pretend there's a building being going up around the world right now. And over time, you're seeing this building get bigger and bigger, and they're buying all these NVIDIA chips, and they're buying all these machines, and this building is getting bigger, and these machines are in, in this building. And next thing you know, there's this massive you know, AI being built over there, just like somebody building a big you know, nuclear bomb. Should the world be worried about people amassing large amounts of hardware, chips, and machines to make super machines? Should we be tracking, you know, that kind of infrastructure, just like we're tracking plutonium and tracking weapons to build, you know, so should, you know, I guess the question I'm asking you is... So I
1: would tell you, we already are. So the U.S. government has actually, you know, President Biden announced it himself, you know, they have stopped not only quantum computers right which are super powerful chips and ai the us has blocked this from flowing uh, from this technology from going to countries that we consider hostile to us whether it's iran saudi arabia china you know you name it russia those countries you are if you are a us citizen it just came down this year you know mm-hmm. just this summer mm-hmm. like literally if you are a us citizen and you are working on chips in any of these countries, or you're working on quantum computing, or you're working on developing AI, core AI, you are breaking U.S. law and you have to resign today. Like it's very strict. It says like you literally, it's retroactive. Like it says you have to resign today and stop working on those technologies because of precisely what you're saying. The U.S. is extremely worried about uh, this technology falling into the wrong hands that can threaten U.S. security and U.S. interests. So now are they doing it to U.S. corporations? The, the answer is no, right? So we haven't gotten to the point where our government is, is saying to U.S. corporations, you can't use this technology. And this is the problem with it around the world. Every country, whether they're U.S. ally or not a U.S. ally, it wants to develop this technology, right? It's extremely powerful. And every country knows that if they don't develop the technology ahead of their, their enemies, right, their enemies will develop this technology and have a significant edge on them economically, militarily, you know, e- in every way, business, you know, every aspect of our lives. This technology we know is going to play an absolutely critical, determinative role, right? So just take the military, for example, and this is what the U.S. government is really worried about, right? So we are building autonomous AI systems for military weapons. Is that scary? Absolutely. Right? Like we are literally building Terminators, you know, mm-hmm. that can go out there and kill the enemy. Now, the U.S. military has been telling everybody, and every country is in the same position. I'm not harping on the U.S. I'm just saying this is a fact of life. The U.S. has been telling people, no, we still have humans in the loop, right? These are not totally autonomous drones run by AI. There's a human in the loop. These are not totally autonomous missiles or or aircraft. You know, there's a human in the loop that can stop it from happening. The problem with saying this is that it won't be true for long if it's even true now. And I don't have inside information to know if it's true now, but it will not be true because you can imagine two fighter jets without human pilots, right? Mm -hmm. Right. First of all, we're going to be building fighter jets that don't need human pilots, right? In fact, human pilots will be an impediment. Because if these fighter jets are coming at each other, right, and you have to wait for a human to make a decision, how long does it take a person to make a decision? Well, a very good fighter jet pilot could make a decision in a second or two, right? A critical decision in a second or two, because they've been trained so much. A human computer can make it in a nanosecond, Mm -hmm. right? Who's going to (laughs) win? Which fighter jet Mm -hmm. is going to outmaneuver the other? It's the one that can act instantly in nanoseconds that will always be able to outmaneuver anything with the human in the loop. So by definition, you will have to extract the human from these autonomous chains, these autonomous systems in order to be competitive on the battlefield in the business world. It's the same way. Right. You know, uh, you will you know, humans cannot process data well. We cannot process massive amounts of data well, you know, whether you're in a fighter jet trying to process all the inputted data Or whether it's you know a stock exchange, we cannot do this. AI can do this exceptionally well and at exceptionally high speeds. And when it's focused on very specific problems, it not just general problems, it can do outperform humans every time. And this is the so so the answer is we are entering a very dangerous time, right? This is a dangerous time, right? We are going to be building weapons and economic systems that are run by AI without humans in the loop? And what will this mean? But we're still gonna deploy them at a higher level. Like, so what I said is humans are moving up the decision-making chain, right? We are gonna be, who work, you know, generals are gonna be happening. They're not gonna rely on humans on the battlefield as much in the future, but they are gonna be making decisions at a macro level, right, to deploy. Well, do we deploy, you know, 5,000 autonomous drones into this battle, right? And how do, what goals do we give them to accomplish, right? That's the decisions that are going to be made on the battlefield of the future. Not today, but in the future, that's where we're headed. In business, it's the same way. In society, with people's data and manipulation of people by AIs, all of these issues need to be discussed. I discuss a lot of them in my book, The Five Forces That Change Everything, but can't discuss them all on, on this podcast in a short time. But it's really critical that we start thinking about these problems do we have like we have nuclear proliferation treaties is it even possible to have ai proliferation treaties right what would it mean and where should we draw the limits we need to come to some sort of rational thing for the sake of humanity because if we don't you know there will be repercussions
0: it's hard not to see the avengers it's hard not to see Iron Man. And I'm being serious here because when you watch yes. those fictional movies and you have, a, you have one guy in the world named Elon Musk who essentially, in a, no judgment on it, but controlling war over there in Russia by whether you get to use my satellite or not use my satellite. that yes. you're, you're starting to see yeah. power moves where you just got to pause for a moment and think how the, the, the power in the world is shifting. So if nobody's thinking about that, think 10 years from now right? Think 20 years from now. Like the idea of government is fascinating to me. So you only have to watch Iron Man. You only have to watch the Avengers and start thinking about how society might be in the future. And it's not about being dystopian. It's about that that's real to me. But Steve, one last thing before we work our way to wrap up. And clearly we have to have another chat. Nerd here to if I may say this, nerd, you we, we probably can have a chat for it out. And I love it. I just love it. This week, rumors have kind of come out that Joni Ive is working with Sam Altman on a on an open on a chat GPT device. Hardly. Would that not yeah, be days. would that not be spectacular if you had a hand in as a human being? creating the most important piece of hardware on the planet and then compla- and then creating the next second most important or maybe the even more important piece of hardware. Like, what a legacy. When I heard that, I said to myself, wow, that would be spectacular. You know,
1: I thought the same thing. And you know what else I thought?
0: Dumb. Smart Move by OpenAI. Yes. They have a great
1: brand with ChatGPT, you know, a global brand now. They are the market leader, but very hard to monetize, right? It's still hard for them to make enough money to cover their massive costs, right? Mm-hmm. Hardware. Like Apple found this out, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you know, making hardware that for their software platform is a good idea if they do it right. And if they have to do it right, right. It has to be super useful and it has to be much better than you would get on your phone, right? Why nobody wants another piece of hardware. They're probably going to end up making a phone. Like my my guess is it, it's it's probably it's hard to beat the phone, right? Or it has to be the phone or a wearable device, you know, yes. some sort of wearable device. But getting Johnny Ives onto this is a great idea, right? Really? He's, like, he's an A-list player in, in creating amazing designs and hardware. But then they have to think about a lot of things. Doing this is a smart move because it can be, for them, trust me, everybody's thinking this, Google's thinking this, you know, Google has Android, right? And, you yeah. know, Apple has, you know, Apple is Apple. They, all these, Hardware, it's not going to be easy for open AI to succeed in this area. Mm-hmm. Let's face it. They are going up against Google and Apple who aren't, are relentless, right? Mm-hmm. They aren't going to give them any break. And they currently hold the duopoly on most of the hardware that matters in our lives. And them and Microsoft, right? They, can they create a new niche for their hardware that is distinct from these? Or that if they can't create a separate use case, a really separate use case for their hardware that you cannot do on a phone, can it has to do something different. And this is the challenge for open AI, right? If it isn't, if it isn't exponentially better than the phones out there, who's going to buy it, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you're not going to buy a, a chat GPT phone, right? You're just not going to buy it, right? If it's not like significantly better, then it has to do something very different than these current devices do. Can they and allow themselves to do that? That is a challenge they face. It's not an easy challenge, right? It's a smart move, not an easy challenge.
0: Steve, I think you and I should go on tour and uh, go and give energy to every room we possibly can. I'm really grateful for your time today. I've thoroughly enjoyed yeah. our chat. Before we wrap up, anything that you didn't get a chance to plug? Because I, I like to give this platform for these wonderful guests to also plug things. I just want to say,
1: if your audience wants to reach out to me, I'm super easy to find. So you can search for Captain Hoff on the internet. You can search for Space. I'm on every social network out there putting out tons of the content. Or you can come to founders.com, founderspace.com. All my books are there. Everything, all my videos are there. And I love to hear from creative entrepreneurs,
0: creative people with new ideas. Creative entrepreneurs with new ideas. Reach out to Captain Hoffman. Go find him on the link. We're connected. He's out there. Go find him. Uh, Cap, stick around for a second. I'm going to play some tunes as we uh, move away out of the lab here today. We're going to leave the lab the same way we came in. With some smooth, some Captain Smooth. And I hope you enjoyed the last hour or so with myself and Captain Steve Hoffman. We talked business. We talked athletics. We talked entrepreneurship. We talked about being authentic. We talked about leadership. And of course, we dug into some fascinating topics with AI and so forth. Join us tomorrow, live in the lab, noon central time. You can find the live stream on YouTube. We drop everything into LinkedIn and X along the way. I'm your host. I'm Keith, live in the lab, live in the... Business Athlete, Performance Lab.